Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. As the lockdown continues, so too does our exploration of Fantasy 15s. Yes, it's time for another episode of Dream 15. Uh, The guest who joined me this week is Rhiannon Garth-Jones, great rugby blogger and writer. Uh, Make sure you uh, you check her out on Twitter, it's great value. And we had a really long chat about this. It was uh, lots and lots of fun, uh, lots of wild picks, lots of players out of position as well. So uh, yeah, there's... um, a lot of fun to be had here. Genuinely, really, really enjoyed it. And we've got lots more of these coming up as well. So we've already got one recorded with Sean Connor, which will be out next week. Of course, you remember him playing for Newport, Neath, Ospreys, and uh, yeah, coaching with the Dragons and stuff as well. Had a lovely chat with him a couple of weeks ago. So that one will be coming up, and we'll be we'll carry on recording these. So uh, yeah, we'll make sure that uh, yeah, that even if the uh, even if the lockdown continues, then there's no rugby actually being played. We'll uh, we'll carry on recording them. So there's plenty of stuff to keep you entertained in the meantime. And of course, big thanks as always to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Uh, I know I say this every week, but it's uh, you know it's a fantastic young Welsh business and they make great coffee. And so yeah, if you're able to support them, head over to SoCoffeeTrades.co.uk and uh, yeah, you won't be disappointed with the quality coffee either. Right, sit back, relax and enjoy this episode of Dream 15 from the Attacking Scrum. Good defence by Wales who now attack with Jones. Bateman midfield. Nicely done with Lewis to Charvis against Wood. Gareth Thomas the link, that's good play. Stephen Jones has got a run in here. That's an important score. Stephen Jones his first try for Wales. Welcome to another episode of Dream 15 by the Attacking Scrum. If you've not listened to one of these so far, the premise is really, really simple. We have a guest come on every week and they will pick the 15 players 
past, present, maybe even future, who they would love to see playing together. They will also get to choose the kits that this team runs out in. They will get to choose the opposition. They get to choose the stadium that the game will take place in. If they can be bothered, they can choose the coaches. Uh, and they will also choose the captain, of course, as well. And I'm delighted to say that my guest this evening is Rhiannon Garth-Jones. How are you doing, Rhiannon? Hi, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. It's nice to have you on the pod for the uh, for the first time, actually. Yes, it's nice to be here, and it's a really fun topic. It's like really entertained me in my downtime last week. Oh well, that's good. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's one of those things that obviously we're recording this in the midst of uh, in the midst of lockdown, and it feels like it's it's one of those pub chats that you have about. Uh, you know who would who would make your all time dream fifteen, and you know the thought of picking picking players that you would never pick if you were writing a serious article about. Um, so it's completely free reign. It's entirely up to you. Um, but I understand you are insisting that we start from fifteen rather than the traditional loose head prop. I am, and if you let me, I'm going to be doubly difficult and make a second demand. But I swear, both of them are like legit. Uh, the second demand is that we deal with the back three as a back three. <laughs> this is outrageous. Uh, <laughs> I know. Well, look, it's your team. It's your team. So you can. Yeah, exactly. You can I'm in charge. It. I'm the dictator here. Yeah, grab, grab uh, the ball by the horns. Uh, right. Yeah. Go for so it. Fire I think, away. I think, first of all, like, you want me to talk about some other players that I considered, right? But didn't. didn't yeah, that's what we generally do, is we'll have, uh, yeah, we'll have kind of like a bit of the shortlist. So, yeah, talk us through. Um, so just before we get into that, actually, I've seen you, you know, you kind of talking on Twitter and um, and written a couple of articles about versatility within players. Does this yeah. have anything to do with why we're suggesting, well, why we're dealing with a back three and starting at 15? Uh, no, not really, although no, that might not. come in later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'm going to stop interfering there. People who follow me on Twitter, uh, perhaps... Perhaps you have to be quite dedicated and read most of what I say, but uh, might have noticed that I'm really, really fond of the idea of a triple fullback back three. Um, just, I just love it, and honestly, I think excellent. If you consider it objectively, I don't, you know, like, if you don't think about oh, but I want X winger in my team, you just think about the pure sort of positioning. Like, why would you not have three fullbacks? Because they're all going to be great defensively. <laughs> they're all going to be great under the high ball. They're all going to be great at running. Like it's just it's a flawless premise. I, <laughs> I, I like it. I'm uh, again. Anyone who's listened to the pod will know that I am fond of a proper fullback. I like yeah. fullbacks who Same. are not converted wingers. Um, you know, I mean, look, anyone who ever watched Jason Robinson play will, you know, will show what an amazing. You know, he was brilliant at 15, uh, despite being a league yeah. converted winger. However, I love the thought that you could, you know, even even in the professional era, you had 15s who weren't necessarily even that quick but they ran such good lines and were yeah. so good under the high ball and had such a siege gun boot you could get away with it so I'm, I, I love a proper 15 um, so I'm really intrigued to see who this uh, who, yeah kind of who the candidates were so you, you just completely ruled out wingers then no no shame, no no, 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 no. so I have, I have considered wingers I just dismissed them for the ultimate goal of a triple fullback. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so obviously I considered Shade because I'm not crazy. Uh, equally obvious, I think George North, um, Glory Days, George North, um, sort of 2011, 2014 period. Oh yeah. Um, because yeah, why would you not like? Um, also considered uh, Tommy Bow. 
Because mm. I think for a really long time, my like casual rugby viewing, one of my strongest memories does seem to be sort of tipsily yelling Tommy Bow as he ran down the wing, sort of irrespective of who he was playing. It's like I'm a, an Ospreys yeah. fan. Um, and I just think he was magic and he was so good at outside centre as well, which I loved. Um, yeah, do you know what? You're, you're quite right there. He was one of those players who you, you don't see as much of it these days. It feels like a bit of a um, a bit of a naughty's thing, wasn't it? Having uh, wingers and thirteens kind of crossover, but I don't feel like you have it quite so much now because I think thirteen is again it's become one of those real specialist positions. But he was very, he was very comfortable there, wasn't he? Yeah, I think there are a couple of examples, and I'll come back to those later. But yeah, I think Bo was really interestingly good and. I was watching the 2009 Lions for the first time, actually, recently. I was kind of unwell, I think, when it happened. Um, and I, I was sort of laughing about uh, going from that centre combination from the first two tests to, to the one in, in the third test. And I'd forgotten, actually, like, just how good Tommy Bow was at 13. Like, he was well, cracking in that game. <laughs> better still, the end... So the, that third test was what? It was Flutie and Bow in the centre, wasn't it, I think? Yeah, and so I'd been joking about this. We rewatched it uh, before Sky put it on. We just did it as a group of us. And I'd been cracking jokes about the only thing I know about this series is the the violence and the deterioration mm. uh, in a centre partnership. And someone said to me, like, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to name any names, but just wait until you find out who ends up in the centre. And I quite like spoilers. I have no problem with things being spoiled for me, but that was just about the greatest reveal of my life to find out that Mike Phillips ended up in the centre in a Lions test. <laughs> also as well, like um, there are, there will be listeners of a certain vintage like myself who went through long periods of time of looking at the um, the Scrum 5 forum on the BBC website. So you kind of in the days before Twitter, that that forum was kind of, you know, was the, the hotbed of, of Welsh rugby chat. Yeah. And honestly, I swear to God, once a week, you would have someone come on there and say, uh, has Mike Phillips ever played in the centre or on the flank? Because, <laughs> you know, like it, it was people just thinking completely out of the box and they would routinely be shot down. And this became a running joke with me and my mates that, that you know, whenever there was an injury, we'd suggest putting Mike Phillips in the centre. This is just and a forum that's actually... just in Tipperick in the centre, basically. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly this, that. Was the, this was kind of circa two, 2006 to, to 2010 was the, it was the forerunner to Tipperick in the centre. And, for it to happen, not like five minutes at the end of a Wales game because of a sim billing, to happen in a Lions test was, uh, yeah, it was magical to actually see it happen. And, yeah. and you know what? Off the top of my head, I haven't seen that game too many times, but I seem to remember him doing a decent job. You did, or you wouldn't have known, you know, if you didn't know that he wasn't a, uh, a centre, you wouldn't have been like, Who, who's that Muppet, like standing at 12 or not at 12, sort of thing. He was, yeah, he was fine. Um, yeah, I think he did a good job. He wasn't, uh, right. wasn't quite Jamie Roberts, but yeah. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah back to we, we digress. Uh, let's let's get let's get back to these uh to Those these, were the uh, wingers that I considered. Uh and then obviously I considered quite a few more fullbacks because fullbacks are more fun. So uh Jason Robinson, as you said earlier. Mm. Uh Lee Byrne, just because of that line he ran, just do you know what? He has stuff. come up on virtually every episode. I think this is the sixth or seventh one of these I've recorded. And just, he has just, come up. Just probably a period, isn't there? Like, if you were watching Wales, whatever age at that time, it must really stand out that kind of the peak Lee yeah. Burn years. And particularly actually on that Lions tour, and I felt so bad for him because he went yes. off injured in a, 
um, in one of those. So yeah, he's he's Best been routinely well. mentioned. I mean, and handsome yeah. handsome Bob Bob Carney was fantastic as a replacement. But my word, yeah, Gutting he's a beautiful man as well. <laughs> handsome Bob, uh, handsome <laughs> uh, Bob, yeah. Lee Halfpenny, partly because obviously he was just so fantastic. That, that sort of again, that sort of George North Peak period, like Lee Halfpenny sort of. 2011, 2012, mm. up to 2015. Um, but also because uh, I've always found Lee Halfpenny a very soothing presence in Wales mm. games, you know. However stressful it is, watching Halfpenny take a kick and the sort of total confidence you get wherever he I is find, on the field that he's kicking, I find that very soothing. I found... I, I can't believe that watching like a 90% goal kicker... I, I'm the opposite. I find it really stressful watching Lee Harkin oh, really? because it takes so long. Yeah, and, uh, and I know that he, you know, he he must have missed like two easy kicks in his entire Wales career. Yeah. But I find it, uh, I, yeah, I find it. I'm, I was like, oh god, he's taking so long. He's taking so long. He's taking. What oh, so, yeah, one? it does take a long time. But I think I yeah. just find that soothing because he looks so calm. That I don't really mind the sort of extended interlude. It just gives <laughs> time to like catch your breath from the sort of chaos. And I also have this, admittedly terrible habit of quite maliciously when I'm watching other teams' games and their kicker misses a kick, going, you know who made that? Be happy. Uh, yeah, I have a real I have a real arrogance about being a Wales fan that um the that we have been so spoiled with goal kickers over the year. You know, yeah. Jenkins Jenkins was was the best of his era, arguably the best of all time. Um and then, you know, Stephen Jones was a mighty fine goal kicker. And then to have Halfpenny and bigger, often in the same side, uh, yeah. Yeah, and hook. Just, you know, which I we've mean, always had amazing goal kickers, yeah. and just, you know when you see Scotland scratching around with, you know, there's nothing wrong with Laidlaw and Patterson, but they they have a range of 25 yards, uh, and they'll slot everything within 25 yards, but they're not taking anything from 40. It was just, I mean, genuinely, still, I sort of I like to check in on this, embarrassingly often, to be honest, of like who the sort of best goal kickers are in the world in terms of not just like their percentage but like the difficulties of the kicks because quite a lot mm. of people yes. have nice rankings yes. absolutely always Harpenny and Bigger are up there and I get so smug about it every time just like well, imagine having the two best goal kickers in the world in your team and I, well, the, the other thing that really annoys me as well is the is you're, you're quite right is you know you will often see um on you know, whether it's a Six Nations game or Leinster or whatever, and it'll be oh, it's Johnny Sexton. Oh, he slots it. He doesn't miss. He doesn't miss those kicks. And I was like, he does actually. He's got oh, a great percentage, <laughs> but he he will have a road kick every game. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and you know, maybe one in every fifteen games, he'll have a real stinker like he did against England this year. And, oh, um, yeah. And that's and, why like, you know Farrell is the same. Like he's he's a fantastic clutch kicker, but his percentage actually isn't anywhere near as high as I think most people think. Like. But I would trust Farrell to take a big kick over over Sexton. I'd trust him to take a big kick, but in terms yeah. of just pure like, if you had, to, if you knew you were going to have ten kicks that goal in a game, Farrell's percentage I think is more like sort of seventy five eighty, mm. whereas Halfpenny and Bigger are like basically ninety. Yeah, so, they're 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 absurdly um, good. It's just ridiculous. But still, but still anyway, no, no Halfpenny in the team. But still not Halfpenny in the team. No. Uh, and the last one I considered and dismissed in a in a fit of pique. It was Vin Smith, who is obviously yeah, just a wonderful player. My accents are really terrible. That was my very best effort. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I even wrote it down in, in the accent to try and help yeah. myself. But uh, anyway, oh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. The ones I picked were in no particular order. They can slot in anywhere they want. 
Uh, Liam Williams, quite predictable, I think, really. Because mm-hmm. uh, just, he used to annoy me a bit uh, when he first started playing because I sort of felt he was a bit, he was a bit reckless. He gave away too many penalties. Um, and he just didn't seem kind of, you know, I thought he was like, he's a wonderful attacking player, but he doesn't really seem reliable enough. And he's just transformed, I think, the last few years. Like, he's, you can't have a conversation about the best fullback in the world right now and not talk about him. Like, Agreed. He's a ridiculous player in every aspect of the game. And obviously very, very comfortable on the wing, interchanging with my other selections. Uh, the second one is Emily Scarrett. Oh, um, right. Because... I like it. She's just bonkers good. Like I can't, I can't remember who it was. Someone referred to her as a cheat code, and it might be like the only time someone's made a computer game reference. And I just completely got it. Like, yeah, she's ridiculous. She can sort of play anywhere in the back line. I think her game intelligence is like off the charts. She's a really lovely outside centre as well, from what I've seen. And yeah, just defensively great, great kicker, uh, lovely attacker, runs beautiful lines, like could almost certainly play comfortably on the wing as she interchanges, like, fantastic. Oh, wow. Let's keep going. The third one, uh, this is maybe a bit of an outside shout, but uh, if anyone doubts me, just, like, look up a highlights reel, <laughs> uh, is Kini Murimuravalu, who has been to three World Cups now for Fiji, and has a lot of sevens experience, and I think... It's just the kind of player who you see in almost any game and think, oh, give that guy like a proper platform in the pack and just, it would be carnage. Um, and he's just someone who every single time I've seen him play, I think, yes, I want to see more of you. And I always try and put him in my fantasy team as well. Um, and he always does quite well in my fantasy team. It's interesting to say you've gone for uh, for three fifteens. Um, out of um, you know, out of kind of principle, you have managed to pick three highlights reels, fifteens, haven't you? You've got you've got proper box office in in all three of those players. In my defence, I well maybe not Mary Mavala was so much, but like Emily Scott and Liam Williams can definitely do the boring sort of dirty grunt stuff. Mm. It's just that yeah, they are all they are all box office when they want to be for sure. Um, and I think you want stuff. that if you're going to go mad and have three fullbacks, you want them to bring a little. Little sort of sparkle to the team. Well, I agree, and I am going to allow you to have picked three fullbacks and yes. to discuss them as a back three. But what I'm not going to allow is I'm not going to allow you to say they can figure out where they play. I, you need to, you need to, to who wears 15, 11, and fourteen. Uh, all right, no, I actually I did write it down this way because I thought you might make me do that. That's fair. Uh, so <laughs> Liam Williams uh, on the left wing. Okay. In eleven, Makes uh, sense. Emily Scarrett at fifteen. Mm-hmm. And uh Mavalo at fourteen. We can come up as a wing and stuff. Good stuff, right? Let's uh, let's move on to the centres. I really hope Mike Phillips is one of them. Oh if only. Uh very nearly considered a, a sort of comedy fifteen pairing of Mike Phillips and Justin Tipperick, I won't lie. <laughs> uh again I sort of did these in pairs because I feel like something else that I bang on about a lot along with versatility is like balance. All about balance. And I think, yeah, you, you want your centre pair to be a pair. So I came up with a couple of individual sort of amazing shout-outs who were uh, uh, Semi Randranda. I don't mm-hmm. think that's an explanation. Um, wrecking ball. Yeah, and I just think um, 
you know, like I was talking to someone recently about Chris Ashton going to Toulon and just absolutely destroying the top 14 try scoring record like in his first season. Uh, and obviously that's because Chris Ashton runs amazing support lines and is a great finisher and a great poetry and stuff. But he said when he was asked about it, and it is true, you know, if you're playing outside semi Randa, it's pretty hard to not score like 20 plus tries in a season. Um, absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, Damien Penault is another one I oh. love, who is the centre who plays wing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolute great example. Yeah. Um, I just, he's too new to pick seriously in a Dream 15, I think, however so whimsical you want to be. But he is a lovely player. And yeah. I really, really hope he doesn't just doesn't pick up a lot of injuries and kind of I want to see him all the time basically it's not yeah. even it's, it's a selfish thing it's not that I'm concerned for his well-being I just want to see him all the time that's that's um, what this Dream 15 is all about yeah and the third one is another centre who often plays wing and also fullback which is Elliot Daly it's a bit uh, maybe a bit of an odd he... choice now because he's sort of such a controversial selection as a 15 but I think as a 13 he's a really lovely player I, it's re- it's a really interesting one actually as to which players best positions are and I've always felt Elliot Daly at club level is a fabulous 13 and at international level is is too good to leave out but yeah. perhaps not good enough under the high ball at 15 and, and I feel like he's a, a great option at 11 and one of the greatest Lions tries of all time that uh, the one that, that Sean O'Brien scored in the first test in yeah. 2017 you know obviously it's the, the Liam Williams break that, that we all remember it's, it's, it's a Scarlet's try that it's Liam Williams <laughs> and, uh, and John and, Davis and John Fox yeah, yeah. Um, but but Daly was the, an important part of it <laughs> he was you know it was yeah. very very important the uh, the role that, that he played in that and he does such a good job of, um, of putting John Davis in and um, um, and then yeah obviously the, the offload to Sean O'Brien but yeah, but but he's not he's not one that you've gone for in the centre. They're all kind of individual mentions. No, yeah, they're just individual shout outs. And then I had uh, two pairings that were very hard to set aside. Uh, uh, both, I think, very predictable, really, for anyone kind of my age. Uh, Jamie Roberts and Brian O'Driscoll. Mm. And Marlon O'Neill and Conrad Smith. But I dismissed all of these all-time oh. great players. They didn't go for any of them. <laughs> Instead, uh, I went for. It took me a little while to remember that I could actually do this because it was a genuine partnership outside of my head. Uh, I've gone for Wesley Forfenar and Jonathan Davis, who played together at yeah, Claremont. Yeah, Claremont, yes. And were nice. fabulous at Claremont and a big part of that kind of, you know, that sort of neutrals favourite two year period. Those girls do just absolutely tearing it up. That's right, and so what? That would have been possibly 2015 when they made the yeah. final against Toulon. Yeah, um, because there was a strong Welsh involvement in that, wasn't there? Because Lee Halfpenny was playing for Toulon. Oh yeah, there were Welsh players all over that final, just not yeah. any Welsh. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, obviously not. Um, and yeah, and John Fox playing for for Claremont, and I actually got offered a ticket the day before by a, a colleague of my wife's. Who just said, "Oh, I've got a spare ticket." Because it was a Twickenham. It's like, Do you yeah. Want to I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." Only for the offer to be reneged an hour later. So, oh, sorry, someone else has taken it. I was Ooh. like, "You've got to, you've got to be kidding me!" And so, I actually spent that day re um, putting. Uh, I don't even know what you call it. You know, on double glazing window, there's like that layer of gum around there. Yeah. I repiped re- that um, rather than spending the day on the piss at Twickenham. 
That is and then quite, also, quite the fall from grace. It was, and I, and just before just before kickoff, I whacked my head on the corner of an open window of the oh, of said open window. So uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know why. The, the minute you said John Davis there, that instantly kind of came into my head when you mentioned <laughs> him with Fofana. But but two beautiful players to watch. And I think uh, this is kind of a theme uh, generally of my team when I've picked players who aren't Welsh. They're players mm. that I kind of uh, was like simultaneously really frustrated to see in the opposition lineup and also delighted because them sort of being there made you think you had less chance of winning the game, but also you would get to see them play. It's just kind of, and I think, yeah, yeah, Fofana is just such a good example of that. Like, I, I, I yeah, I, I always think there's there's those opposition players who, when they finish playing. Or you they're they're not playing against you. You really respect. Yeah. Them. Every time every time fans played them. against England, I was delighted. Exactly. And like, I also think more it's, the, <laughs> it's the ultimate. And he generally had a good game against England as well. And um, it's the ultimate um, acknowledgement of how good a player is that if they're English and you can enjoy watching them play, yeah. then <laughs> then it's like it's like yeah. Do you know what this is the uh, you know, this look is like the, legit stuff? So like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I've felt that about very few players. Funny enough, knowing them, knowing them players made it into my um, into my dream fifteen. But there were a couple who, who got close, and that's testament to, to how, how good, good they were, how, yeah. good how enjoyable they were to watch. Right, wow. I mean, it's a, it's a really exciting backline so far. I'm a bit disappointed you didn't go for 15s the whole way through, actually, which I think I might mean, be another chat for another time. But. There was such a strong chance when you initially asked me to do this that I would do, like, a flanker 15 or a fullback 15. Like, oh, both, yeah. of, both I, of those were dangerously, dangerously close to happening. But I thought I should at least <laughs> sort of notionally try and take it seriously. <laughs> well, yeah, you... you um, Ish. Yeah, I like the way you've gone for a hybrid of, yeah, uh, of a balance. Of, uh, yeah, exactly. It's all about balance, isn't it? Yeah. And other than the back row, the the one pairing that really does require some balance is the halfbacks. What are you uh, What are you up to <coughs> when it comes to when it comes to nine and ten? So uh, I'll do ten first, um, and I told us, I, I know this is kind of sacrilege. I didn't really think about Dan Carter that much. I obviously, you know, he's bloody amazing, but I don't have any kind of personal sort of, like, you know, I don't have any real sort of specific memory of, like, Dan Carter where I kind of feel like, oh, yeah, that was really important to me, you know, would be sense. So he got dismissed pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barrett, kind of magic, but uh, I just didn't really fancy it. Same for Quaid Cooper. And I thought a lot about the various Welsh tens, um, the sort of one, the three current ones. Big fan, yeah. big big fan of Reese Patrol. Uh, can't not love Dan Bigger, and I thought Anscombe's probably, if not the biggest, certainly one of the biggest injury losses for any team in the World Cup. Yeah, just yeah, gone. Yeah. I just think he was huge actually, and I'm not sure people quite realised how much because yeah, uh, Bigger's really so iconic. Point. You don't think of it as a loss necessarily, like, oh, your backup is Dan Bigger, like Crimea River. But I think that dynamic of Anscombe starting mm. the game and running the game and then Bigger coming off the bench, having watched it and worked out exactly how it needed to be closed out was a really, really important kind of combo, both of them. I, be- I became obsessed best. with it, actually. I became obsessed with the fact that Dan Bigger's best position was, 20 to- was 22. Same. Because it's such a power move as- to have Dan Bigger yeah. sat on your bench. Like, it's just and genius. You- 
Exactly, and you always think you you start your best ten, you start your best ten. But it, it freed up Anscombe to go and play for sixty minutes, knowing that if the game got tight, you have a guy who thrives on pressure, and yeah. it's such an it's such an unwelsh thing to you know you have it's a it's a Welsh thing that we you have played like Lee Halfpenny for example, like we said then right, he doesn't miss he doesn't miss pressure kicks, he doesn't miss big kicks. And famously missed one in, in 2011. And I, I don't remember that. Some... That didn't happen. Oh, God. I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> sadly, it's, it's, it's stained upon Locked. my soul. Um, but just before that kick, and I remember it as clear as day, Nick Mullins on ITV says halfpenny, steps up to take the kick. He's definitely going to have the distance. It's like, even if he doesn't score, he's definitely going to have the distance. And you just, I just knew at that point it wasn't going to happen. But Dan Bigger yeah. thrives on it. You know, mm. he, he's... To go back to your point earlier about half penny goal kicking, bigger for me. I'm just like he won't miss this. He will not. He will not miss a kick that he should kick. Oh no, I have absolute faith that he will. He will score mm. it. I just I find it too stressful to watch him with his routine. <laughs> so like the, the watching process of it doesn't soothe me in the same way. That's probably why he didn't mm. make my actual selection. Uh, fair I, enough. The closest one actually was Reese Priestland, who the He's a joy to watch, isn't he? I mean, such a confidence player. So mostly terrible actually when you wanted like a stress-free experience in a, in a sort of pressure game. But, yeah, when he was good, he was just so, so lovely. Um, and every now and again, you know, for Bath, he's kind of had one of those just, like, majestic games again, and it makes me so happy to sort of watch him do it. Um, but the player I picked is... Uh, so when I was younger, I, I didn't grow up watching rugby. I grew mm. up watching football and cricket because mm. my dad kind of fell out of love with the game. Um, and I, if you can't tell from the accent, listeners, uh, I am from the northwest of England. Not a whole lot of rugby union going on around there. Uh, so I only really watched rugby when I went to visit my granddad in Wales, who sort of decided that his sporty Welsh-named granddaughter was going to be like the one that he got into rugby. I assume my brothers weren't interested, and all my other cousins definitely not sporty. So every kind of every time I would go and visit, he would sit me down. He would explain to me again what all the positions were and what everyone was supposed to be doing and then he'd make me watch a game. And basically every game I'd be like, Grandad, they're not doing the things that you said they were supposed to be doing. Like, that guy didn't catch the ball. That guy didn't throw the ball properly. Like, this didn't happen. I, are you sure you're telling me the rules right or are we just really bad? Um, I think it was unfortunate that I only ever watched games where we were quite crap, um, which I didn't, I didn't mind the losing so much because I grew up watching other sports teams that lost all the time. Like, that was kind of a comfortable level for me. I just... It was really hard to get to grips with what was happening. And again, I'd never played, but I just kept watching this team who didn't do the things that I was told they were supposed to be doing, except for Stephen Jones, who always mm-hmm. did exactly what I'd been told he was supposed to be doing. Uh, and was just, yeah, always to me, I just, I find him so, so calming. Like the forerunner to Lee Harpenny for me. I just absolutely trust when I see him that he's going to do the right thing, uh, which is perhaps not quite accurate and more because of this sort of <laughs> slightly muddled childhood it's, introduction to rugby. It's, but... it's a really interesting one, actually, because I, I know what you mean. I have so many fond memories of watching Stephen Jones play rugby and um, to go back to that 2009 Lions tour, he was absolutely imperious then. And Well, yeah, you know, so the, we uh, watched this recently and I was like, you know what, I, people have always told me that I'm really lame for having Stephen Jones as one of my favourite players. Like, he's quite sort of boring and... No, he wasn't. A bit functional. He, wasn't. he was magnificent. Well, the other one... He, uh, do you know what I think was particularly great about him was his... Um, 
his he, well, he didn't look particularly graceful, but he had this wonderful service and his ability to make the right decisions at the right time. Exactly, was definitely something he had. And there is there are some games that yeah, that one against um against uh, South Africa for the Lions, he was superb in that second test. Yeah, but also but... the two thousand and five in Paris. So I've literally um, written both of these games down: second <laughs> test, two thousand and nine, second half, France two thousand five. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. and he made the, there's that one break he makes in the um, in the game in Paris, where and again this goes back to him not looking particularly graceful. He seems to run for seventy yards and make a clean break whilst at the same time running like he's got a fridge on his back. Yeah, it's almost um, like there's treacle that he's yeah. running through. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, but, yeah, no, just... he was he was magnificent. He, he was a great player to watch and got the best out of those outside of him I think was was what his real gift was and that's kind of the thing you know the, the players I've got outside of him I've got just they just burst into the seams with like talent and creativity and uh, and sort of flair and I think Stephen Jones is kind of his understanding of who to release and what to do and when exactly to do it when you've got a back line that's kind of so talented it could get confusing Almost, if that makes sense. Like he is kind of the perfect yeah, ten does. for that. Absolutely, just, just makes the right decision. Yeah. yeah um, no, I like that. Good. And did it did a little bit of fifteen as well, actually. Oh yeah. Again, yeah. I'll be honest. There are a couple of players in this team uh, who I just did not consider them not being in the team. I, I pretended yeah. that I came up with alternatives, but some players just got written down at the start and they stayed there and. There was no question about them ever changing, uh, and Stephen Jones is definitely one of those. Well, no, uh, no arguments from me on that one. Who is his partner at halfback? So uh, I had a whole spiel for this, right? I had this kind of like I, I, I went on a big sort of thought process about it. Uh, I'll be honest; I spent way too long thinking about nine. Um, about this kind of idea of like you can have very sort of almost perfunctory nines who just do the mm. basics so well and that's all you need and I think like we make a lot of jokes everybody and I'm going to assume yeah including as all about like Eddie Jones selections at nine that he kind of just wants well that he picks Ben Young's at all but mm. um sorry I feel like I'm really mean to Ben Young <laughs> uh, but the, I think what he wants is he wants a very perfunctory scrum half and that's why that's why he talks about having someone like Ben Curry step in at nine because he's not bothered about the flash stuff. He just wants you to get the ball quickly off the ground and into yeah. the right player. Um, and I think there are, you know, other kinds. So like, he's not perfunctory at all, but someone like Aaron Smith is just like a perfect passer. And you would pick him just for being a perfect passer. He's so like, kind of, doesn't make it, he doesn't, he doesn't get it wrong. He executes everything brilliantly. Um, he's almost too perfect. Again, I think he's a cheat code player to me. Yeah, you know, Aaron, Aaron Smith is. There's, there's almost. Um, it's boring. This sounds really harsh, but there's a little lack of charm. I don't know if you like. Yeah, yeah, you know, no, that's exactly I mean, it. It just, there's no kind of. So this, so this is know, sort of my thing. Like, there's no magic to it. Yeah. But then it <laughs> yeah, went the, on a whole. The, ma- the magic is that he's almost too magic. It's like yeah, I don't yeah. know if you follow any other sports, but like I take no joy in watching Roger Federer play tennis because he's too good. Shame. It. It's, it's boring. Boring. He's gonna yeah. Tiger Woods did not like when Tiger Woods was playing golf. Oh, I, I had no interest that. because it's like it, it, it's just I don't know. For me, I need someone who almost has a has a flaw and can succeed without that. And, and Aaron Smith is just like too perfect. Right, so this leads actually perfectly into it. Obviously, I also considered Mike Phillips because 
how could you not? Um, but really what I was sort of balancing up was this idea of like, yeah, the sort of perfect but quite boring, charmless scrum half. And I think Aaron Smith is like a perfect example mm. of that. Versus uh, sort of the, the truly magic scrum half. And I think those are almost always French. Um, <laughs> partly because French rugby players are delightfully mad. Yeah. Probably, actually, because the role of a scrum half in France is so different, right? Like they're so often the actual general they're the playmaker they're the decision maker so you get these kind of really wonderful memorable scrum hearts and I had this whole spiel and examples of those and I was going to end up with Antoine Dupont because I think he's he's a magnificent player he's a great example isn't he he's not been around for very long but he's just already so great Uh, but I didn't because I told someone uh, Elgan Evan Alderman who I recommend you follow on Twitter if you can find him because he's brilliant mm-hmm. for like really niche hipster sports facts he has, other, he, has, he has other qualities he's a very nice person he's a good writer as well he writes for the times but he's great for like niche sports facts uh, and we had this running joke about the three fullbacks thing so I told him and he was like oh my god you haven't picked Shane and I was like yeah I know but I just I think oh, they're like oh you haven't So and he was like <laughs> I can't take any credit for this. The genius is always. He was like, so obviously you're going to pick Shane at nine, right? And I was like, well, I am now, yeah. Oh, that's outstanding. I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. And, just, you know and the what? more it, I think about it, I was like, no, it's genuinely a brilliant idea. I'm not taking it back. It's, it, it is magnificent. And um, it's, I don't know, it's one of those things that, like, you try and explain it to people who perhaps weren't following Welsh rugby in 2003, but had this guy who is, in my opinion, he's Wales' greatest ever winger, if not greatest ever player, right? Had he went to that World Cup as third choice number nine and was, you know, was was doing bits and pieces. At, um, it was at Neath at the time, wasn't it? It was pre-regional. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was at Neath, doing bits and pieces at nine. I, honestly, I remember Neath playing Newport uh, in about 2000. Shane was goal-kicking for them, <laughs> for the wing. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, I swear I'm not making this up. Oh, I believe Shane, you, I do. Shane was goal kicking for them, and it's just it's just astonishing. But fact, it someone else told in... me recently, and I, oh, oh, it will really annoy me that I can't remember who, so I can't give them a shout out. But uh, apparently, Shane once moved in an injury crisis partway through a game, but ended up moving to ten for Ospreys and goal kicking. So I absolutely do believe you. I couldn't find a video footage of this game. Oh, right. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to try and dig that. Yeah, we should try. Know, if anybody has it, listen to us. He did do a stint at nine when there was a sin, when Mike Phillips got sin binned in, uh, in Dublin in 2008, which I'd completely forgotten until it, yeah. uh, until it again, it surfaced on, um, on Twitter recently. He which plays, I, a, he plays, he plays 10 minutes at nine there and, and looks very comfortable. I think that is the only time I've ever actually seen Shane play at nine, I've got to say. So it is a bit cheating to put him here because it's not like I've ever really seen him. But what a way to shoehorn Shane Williams into your dream team. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. It's your dream team, and I'm glad you've done it. And also it ties in, because when I messaged you and said, would you like to come on, you said, oh, I've listened to the one with Ben James. It sounds like fun, but I know nothing about um, about computer games. Oh, yeah. um, but it does tie in nicely, because there's a we spend five or ten minutes talking about how on, on the EA rugby game, whatever it was, 2006, if you played Shane Williams at nine, you couldn't fail to win because you could pick up with the base of the scrum and he was so much quicker than everyone what? else. I listened to the entirety of that podcast and I do not remember that bit. I think it's probably just must, because it was the computer games and I was like, oh, cool. Must have phased it out. 
Right, an, out, an outstanding set of backs there. We're going to come on to talk about uh, to talk about your forwards now, and I look forward to seeing how many of those are playing out of position. Uh, but we will be doing that after this very, very short break. I'm Sam Warburton, and you're listening to the Attacking Scrum. Time now, Rhiannon, to look at your pack. Uh, it's been a fascinating, uh, a fascinating trawl through some real wild card picks in the um, in the backs, and I can I can see now why uh, why you you have a fondness for writing about Eddie Jones's uh, Eddie Jones's uh, joy in talking about picking players out of position because that 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 clearly runs deep with you there. Well, um, I think also there's a logic to Eddie Jones's decisions, and we all miss it because it's just so fun to talk about how ridiculous his statements are. Like he packages it deliberately in a mad way, so no one takes it seriously. But uh, yeah, there's a certain um, logic yeah. there, and I would argue there is a certain logic to my decisions. <laughs> it's a there, stretch. There might well be. I mean, the the, the thing is, um, is that you know, I don't know. For me, all those Eddie Jones things. I've seen straight through. So what was it this year? What was the one he did this year? It was Curry playing at nine. Was that was that this year's well, trump card? So we talked about uh, Ben Curry playing at nine. Ben Curry, right. The, the, um, lesser, of the, the lesser, lesser of the two genius. Yeah. They are twins, um, aren't they? Yeah, they are twins, yeah. Um, yeah, he talked about Ben Curry playing at nine and I actually did basically write an article that was technically about other stuff but was essentially about this. Uh, and I think that's... Um, the, the, I think there is a what well, so obviously he just says that stuff right he says it to annoy all of us yeah but he has uh, asked Tom Curry to play as an auxiliary scrum half all the way through the Six Nations and uh, that try against Wales the Anthony Watson try that was set up by mm. Tom Curry playing scrum half um, to free up Ben Youngs to make the more technically difficult pass in the set play and I think the, I would personally not play a flanker at nine. I think you can take a thing too far. But I think what he means is if you have players who are going to be in and around a rook who are comfortable passing the ball out the yeah. first receiver, you are not as reliant on your nine as you are otherwise. So I was watching um, I was watching a Japan game recently for another pod and uh, there's one point where Tanaka is just stuck in another rook and immediately the Japan attack breaks down because no one else can pass the ball as quickly or mm. as well as him. And I think Eddie Jones's thing is just like, you might lose half a second at the breakdown, but if you get that half second back because a different player is capable of making the pass, then like that's something that's always kind of worth factoring in. So I'm not it's sure how point. serious all of his things are, but I think there is usually more to his kind of ridiculous statements. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the first, but his kind of the main reason he does it is because it takes all the pressure off the players and people aren't talking, yeah. about, aren't talking about Ben Youngs at nine. They're talking about Eddie Jones saying these things with a you know supposedly yeah. straight face. It's very much the kind of the Jose Mourinho playbook of like it's the, Mourinho. Before yeah. that, it was Brian Clough. It was you know it was the take yeah. the pressure off the players thing. Well, the Gatland, Gatland used to do it as well. Yeah, Gatland, just, absolutely. Yeah. And, the show about but you're right. At, at the same time, there is an element of truth in it. But there's nothing new in that. You know, having open side flankers. You know, they were historically were the, yeah, the yeah. link men between backs and forwards. But I think um, it's. I think Eddie's very good at that. Um, but yeah, this is a drum I bang quite a lot actually, and it, it is about versatility and and kind of and balance as well. I think. But like professionalism has gone so far now 
that lots of the things that we've kind of ruled out in the last 10, 15 years, which is a lot of player mm. versatility, say, um, just for example, are now sort of becoming things that you're looking back to and going, well, we did that 15 years ago and we stopped doing it because of this thing. But if mm. we did it in a different way, now it would actually help us address that problem, like the line speed almost always, I think, is the sort of case now. But yeah, the other thing is if you're, if you're playing a team who have three amazing sort of breakdown merchants and you've only got one, then you need to find some other way of combating that. And uh, yeah, I think kind of going back to, you can't you can't just redo things that we did in the amateur era because very obviously they won't work against like a professional defence especially, but there are lots of things that we used to do in rugby that I think with a bit of tweaking can be brought back. And I think Eddie Jones is someone who really kind of likes that. It's a really interesting point and an actual kind of uh, serious, uh, serious yeah, little aside. Sorry, so completely, completely so, unrelated to any of my selections as well. <laughs> let's, let's, get it, let's get it back to the, uh, to back, the fullback yeah. who you've selected at Loosehead Prop. <laughs> uh, right, so Loosehead Prop. Uh, I can pretend that I considered other players. Uh, I think Beast is a good... Oh, sorry, Loosehead. Yeah, I think... Mm, uh, yeah. Beast, Mako... Um, I wrote down some others, but honestly, I can't even bother to pretend that I considered anybody but Gethin Jenkins. I, I would have an entire team of Gethin Jenkins, to be honest. Forget the fullbacks, forget the flankers, just Geth. Everywhere. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. This um, again, like like as I say, as we get into like episode seven of of doing these Dream Fifteens, there's certain players who come up all the time and, and Gethin is one of those because it's just nigh on impossible to to leave him out. I managed to just because, you know, I wanted to be slight not slightly contrary, but you know, I I went for a, a slightly left field pick and but ultimately if I was picking a team of the best players I've ever seen of any nationality, Gethin Jenkins would be right at the forefront when it comes to Luso Props. That's the thing, and I did. There were other kind of positions where I was like, oh, maybe I should be a bit more like, you know, imaginative. <laughs> I should come up with something else. But I think I just, yeah, like Shane Williams, uh, certainly the best winger, and definitely mm. one of the best Wales players of the last, like, of the sort of modern era. But I think I'd have to give it to Guess. I just, he's just such a complete player, and I think now we sort of take it for granted that loose head props can do that. But some of the mad shit he was doing, like, mm. 10, 15 years ago. He was just... When he retired, I did this piece. Uh, it was very kind of like, uh, you know, like an SEO sort of heavy piece, which is not really something that I do normally, but someone asked me to, and I was like, well, it's Gethin, so, like, sure. And it's basically just a highlight reel of all the different ways that Gethin was great. And I was like, this is, this is loads of fun to write. I don't like this at all. <laughs> Let me just find another video of Gethin doing something mental. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Is actually like loose for a loose head prop. He's full of joy, isn't he? You know, it's uh, so full of joy. And also, guessing could just do the full eight. You don't need anyone on the bench. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. It's 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 amazing. And to think, you know, again, he's because he played for so long. He did straddle. Uh, you know, he did straddle kind of an era where it was so so different. To think yeah. he's only you know he's only retired in the last couple of years. But he was also a cornerstone of 2005 Grand Slam winning side, and he was also in the 2003 World Cup. You know, and the games were so Insane. different. They were still yeah. they were still wearing baggy baggy cotton jerseys in yeah. those days. 
But but I think he, you know, he, he evolved and he modernised the game. Yeah, and he has this sort of unfair rep, I think, in some parts of like, oh, he was kind of like a show pony prop and he wasn't really very good in the scrum. But actually, well, first of all, the amount of scrum changes that happened over Gethin Jenkins' career, <laughs> you know, there were periods where he was a brilliant scrummager. Mm. It was just that kind of brief period where the laws changed and he just sort of got on the wrong side of all the referees. But it's not indicative yeah, it was about at all of his career. Wasn't it? He had a, yeah. he had a rough a rough ride um, yeah because it was it was just after that um, the the Wales against England in 2013 and the, and the Lions tour in Australia where yeah. he was just brilliant in the scrum he was just destroying everybody um, and yeah there was that kind of two years afterwards where he got this reputation for being really dicey but actually like yeah in, in a career that long yeah in, a, in an international career of whatever it is 13 years yeah, uh, he he probably had a dicey, to go from a game that was still three games, you know. Yeah, yeah, and to go from a game that was essentially in many ways still kind of amateur to yeah to the yeah the kind of almost peak of professionalism is is yeah mad and a magnificent brilliant. choice. Plus, uh, I read Sam Robinson's book recently, and it has an anecdote in it about guessing once grabbing the coaching mic off the water boy and telling the coach to substitute a player for being shit, and the coach did. And I, I think that on its own would be enough to pick us in chickens, to be honest. Yeah, it's a, it's a good choice. Um, there's, yeah, no, no one is ever going to argue with you if people no. get in at one. They can try, um, but... They can try, but it, it's, a, it's a futile argument. What about Hooker, then? So, uh, I'm a Scarlet's fan. Obviously, very, very tempted to pick Ken Owens. Mm. Um, also, a massive fan of Richard Hibbard, who... I think possibly up until the build-up of the last World Cup, my uncle was joking that we could put him on in the squad. Um, um, do you know what? To be honest, my uncle was not joking. He was dead. Yeah, in his time at Gloucester, he was, he was absolutely superb and obviously fell out of favour with, with Gatland for one reason or another. Um, but um, a magnificent player. And again, to go back to that yeah. Lions tour in 2013 and that... That game against England. Um, bonkers. Utterly bonkers, yeah. Um, and also, one of the, I think there might be a, a couple of England players coming up who I am sort of considering. Uh, I'm a big fan mm. of Jamie George. Yeah, I am actually. I, I he, Again, he would fit that bracket of Monday player who yeah. plays for England who I have nothing but admiration for. Yeah, I actually think he should be the England captain. I think I might have written about this before. Um, because he is that kind of. He's very well. He's obviously really well respected by the mm. rest of the team, and he's not like a showy leader. But he has really good game intelligence. Very good at talking to referees. He's mm. really clearly one of the players who everyone kind of rallies around in the pack. Um, and he just kind of yeah, he does it all really well. I think he's a really really good player. Um, not good enough for this team, obviously. <laughs> but uh, I don't even think being English counted against him there. I just had a sort of bit of a brainwave. Subconsciously, it did, but that, that, that we certainly <laughs> gonna, won't hold that. You're going to pretend to be above that. Uh, this is a classic example, and there's another one coming up of a of a player who. It's not so much when I saw him in the opposition lineup. I think he's pretty regular, but you just sort of see him and be like, "Oh, what is even the point when they have players like that? Like, why do we even bother?" Uh, it's just kind of ridiculous. But also at the same time, then you'd watch the game and you'd be like. Damn, this sort of good to watch. Uh, and that's Kevin Neil Armu. Mm. Um, 
I think as well, I really like, I, I like a lot of sort of, I like a combination of kind of, uh, sort of, I want to say physicality, but really I mean sort of bastardry. Um, well, I was, was going to say actually. I'm baller in my pack, and I think he's a perfect balance of the two. He certainly is, but it, it wouldn't necessarily be, um, when you talk about bastardry, it's hard to talk about Kevin Mialami without talking about that incident on Brian O'Driscoll. Which obviously Tanner Umanga takes the, you know, the, takes yeah, that's the, true. Tanner Umanga gets the rap for it, but he does. But Mialami was very much, uh, you know, a blood on his hands it, during yeah. that as well. I had sort of forgotten about that, but I think I'm not going to hold it against him because I have sort of sold him to myself on all of his other qualities. I'd prefer it if he didn't drop any of the opposition on their heads. I'll tell him that well, in the in the coaches' meeting. Do you know what? As well, you can you can guarantee that off the pitch he's probably the nicest man. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Meet, but um, there's just something about a player like that who's just such a sort of such a git to play against, and oh, then he'll yeah. just make a kind of wonderful twenty meter break with a perfect offload at the end, and you're just like, I hate you, Kevin, but also I love you. <laughs> I'm, I mentioned this with I've mentioned this to a couple of other people when they've been selecting theirs, but I have a mild fascination, a mild fascination with um, with All Blacks who, because you see so many amazing All Blacks who get forty caps and they have two bad games and they're done. Yeah. Um, because the strength and depth is like that, I have a huge fascination for All Blacks who get over a hundred caps. I've just looked this up now. Mila yeah. had one hundred and thirty. Yeah, that was another reason that, as well. Just imagine, astonishing, staggering. And he retired. Well, he he came off the bench, didn't he, in the World Cup final in twenty fifteen? But he played. You know, like it, modern players get more caps because we have more yeah. games. But like a lot of his career was still in a period where it hadn't accelerated that much. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just genuinely played all the time <laughs> yeah I mean like like Gethin he would have been yeah. one of those players playing when there was two front row replacements on the bench yeah and you and, know, basically, those, and you didn't and you didn't use them like you would just yeah, play in a yeah. late so yeah um, I don't know. So, I mean, yeah. All the all putting aside all the the 2005 stuff, which is obviously just etched on my brain. No, it is a good uh, point. A that magnificent player. Uh, yeah, just just the whole kind of the whole package. I'm perfect for this pack, which will hopefully become apparent. Um, so next okay. up, Tyrese. Uh, again, I originally wrote down bomb, but I felt like I had to be a bit more creative. Um, although I very nearly I mean, went... we'll, always, we'll always assume that everyone's first choice is a Gethin and Bomb and then you yeah, right. pick, and then, and then you, you just can, sort of pretend to be a yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I actually nearly went back and put him in again just because uh, he did a podcast recently with uh, with The Rock I think it was Matt Dickinson who did an interview for The Times mm. uh, they had like a whole series of like what it takes to be a grand seminar uh, yeah do you know what? I really enjoyed it actually I think it was Owen Slot maybe but Owen Slot yeah. Yeah, yeah and and yeah, I just thought Adam, he was just brilliant. It was such a really good combination of like really sort of honest and quite moving and really fascinating technical insight and really funny, like a little bit of snark and it was just the kind of perfect sort of package of what you'd want in a podcast that long, like the whole sort of range. Uh, so yeah, I honestly nearly, nearly picked him for his podcast performance. <laughs> um, didn't. Another England player I considered, Kyle Sinclair, who... Yeah, yeah. I think as well, he, uh, you know, I gave him as much stick as anyone last year when uh, when Alan Wynne-Jones wound him up straight off the pitch. But I think 
he's still really young guy. He's like twenty five or something. Man. He's uh, yeah. He's um, and, again. It, do you know what? He's one of those players. I've no um, I've no problem seeing him seeing him play well. Yeah, he's, he's just, just come along um, su- such a long way already. Yeah. And I was actually I was genuinely kind of gutted for him in the World Cup final. He went off after like two minutes. Um, yeah, that's it. I, I wouldn't have been gutted for him if I'd have seen him get you know get munched in the scrum or. You oh know, no, that would have been fine. Yeah, that, that would have been. That's fine. fine. So you're <laughs> right to be ruled out to be ruled out with injuries. Just yeah, like the hardest. Uh, yeah, a, a bit I, of pills as well. Though. I just kind of think as well like he's the kind of he's the kind of tired prop who in he could improve. He's, he's yeah, he's still young still. He could improve so much. He could be uh, one of those players who you're like, oh yeah, you know, remember when he started and he was just this kind of like mad bastard of a prop. And now well, he's... Look, I, I remember watching. I remember watching Martin Johnson play for England and people going, you know, he was he was too much of a live wire. He's too much of a loose cannon, and you know everything that followed with him. Yeah. And you know he led them. He you know, led them to a World Cup and 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 everything else. And you know the two Lions tours where he was captain and largely. Re- I'm not saying that the yeah, England is necessarily going to be a captain, but I can certainly see a situation where he's a key leader for England, and he's yeah. He's, and I think he's self-aware. That's the crucial thing. Like he looks, yeah. at, he analyzes his game, he looks at his faults, he really, really wants to work on it, even if that's like the emotional side of things as well as like a technical or physical thing. And I just think that yeah, that's the kind of thing that makes good players great. And I yeah, not great enough for my team, obviously. But okay, who who is the who is the title prop who's great enough for this team? Uh, so I nearly went for Nicola Omar because I kind of loved him. Mm. Proper sort of French psychopath prop. But actually, I went for the opposite of that in many ways. Uh, Tag Furlong. The jukebox. Yeah, just... He's so... He's, he's such a sort of talented, lovely prop and yet rock solid in the scrum. I think he had a, he had a bit of a tough year the last 12 months, maybe he'd been a bit tough, but... Uh, that sort of peak, that 2017, 2018 sort yeah. of period, where it was just like, yeah, to see tight heads like that, who can just, who can, who have that kind of engine, who can do all of the nuts and bolts, gritty, nasty shit stuff, and then be at the, the centre point of a pitch perfect Josh Joe Schmidt uh, play, it's like, I want that in my team. I yeah, I mean, uh, can't disagree with it. I mean, imagine imagine getting hit by Tyg Furlong. Like it must be. Oh, must hit hurt by so a, much. By a wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, I think there was that uh, that scrum, uh, the Wales against Ireland when uh, oh, was it just when Liam Brown had come on? I can't remember. But you know, like, when we were on their line and Ireland won the scrum, and mm. Tyg Furlong was celebrating like it was absolutely everything, which I guess it was, you know, because we should have scored. And I just think there's for a prop who I think is kind of in some ways known for his hands, there's just something about that that still what he really loves is the bread and butter stuff. Like he is a tight head prop. He's not he's not someone else kind of just masquerading there because he's a bit heavy. You know, like he loves no, both sides uh, of it, and that's just great. Yeah, that's a it's a mighty fine choice. What about the uh, the engine room? All right, so uh, thought about Tyburn. Mm-hmm. Just for double tag? Yeah, just for, just for the fun of it. <laughs> I'm a Scarlet fan, and I just think, you know, Tag Burden was stupidly good in that title winning season. Uh, I, I remember saying at the time, I was like, this guy's a, this guy's a test lion, no doubt. Which is such a big lion. part of it. And I think I, he hasn't stepped up yet, but I, and someone asked me about this recently because they were like, oh, you know, you're a Scarlet fan. You said he was great. Like, he hasn't kind of, he hasn't shown it for Ireland. And I was like, well, 
he's been injured pretty much constantly. He's not had a run at it. He's got every, he's got he's got all of the skills. And he keeps being it. brought it's on at six, and it's like, well, you know, he can play at six, fine, like he covers it, but he is a lock really, and just because he's a modern lock, like if you're going to give him a chance in the Ireland team, I think you want to give him a chance alongside James Ryan in the engine room, yeah. not coming on at six in a game that you, has already kind of got away from me, you know, I, can't, I don't really think that's a, a fair crack at the whip when he is fit. Um, and he just, yeah, he just, for someone who's not that big, you know, like some of the tries that he scored just powering over the line from close range, actually, like just his footwork and his kind of, the vision you can have even at that close range to spot exactly where to sort of plant your foot. Yeah. To power, you know, like that. yeah, he was great. Uh, similarly, um, in some ways, I guess, Leon and Akarawa, fabulous player. Brody Italic is a bit like Furlong in many ways. He just sort of does everything. That's kind of ridiculous. It's almost not fair. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a cheat code. Yeah, he's definitely a cheat code. He's outrageous. He's like um, he's yeah. Again, without wishing to get too far down the the video game route, he's like an end of level boss. You know what I, I mean? Like I understand a, that. On, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> on, on Street Fighter, yeah, on Street that. Fighter Two or something, he's he's like the end of level boss. He's, that he's also just like massive. you know, you you joke that maybe you could have a flanker play in the centre, or you know, like maybe you joke that like Guessing could do it, but like having a lock who could play like Body Metallic yeah. absolutely could play centre, and he would be just completely fine. He's just no yeah, he's, he's um, a, yeah, he's a freak. But again, the best possible, a bit too man. boring. I thought about Paul O'Connell. Yeah. Uh, I, he was kind of, he was my, he was, he was up there until I had my moment of realisation. Because uh, obviously I picked Helen Wynne-Jones at four. I'm sorry. I know it's really predictable. I know everyone else picked him as well. But I just I didn't. Well, again, I you know, I, like I say, I I didn't pick Gethin. I didn't. You're just con- you're just contrary. But I could not. I could not leave. <laughs> could not, I could not leave Alan Windows out. And no one can leave him out because he's basically a religion at this point. Like, yeah, he is. He is. So I went for uh, the person I thought would be uh, the best partner to Alan Wynne Jones mm-hmm. and the best constituent part of my pack as a whole, uh, and that was Victor Matfield. Yeah. Oh, nice choice. Nice choice. And first time, I th- first time he's been mentioned. I think outrageous. What has everyone else been playing? At? <laughs> um, I think there were about twenty different things I could think of to say in his defence. But the thing that stood out for me is that it's painful, obviously, for us Wales mm. fans. That South Africa team in 2015 was, in many ways, ragged and. Borderline on Zimmer frames by rugby standards, including him. Realistically, there was way more salt and pepper in his hair, from my memory. And I felt like he dragged that team by just like sheer willpower and the determination to not be embarrassed at a World Cup, all the way to a to a semi final where they gave the All Blacks the kind of closest shave they had in the tournament. And I frankly don't think that team was anywhere near it good enough actually, to come third. I think they basically did it because, not just him, but because of players like him who were just like, we're not having this. We're not going to be it's embarrassed. Not, yeah, that Japan thing, just, was, that was it. That was the one-off. It's not happening again. I just think it's that's It's a very so South impressive. African thing to turn up at a big tournament, isn't it? Yeah, Australia have done it for years where they've yeah. been 
hopeless for three years in between and then actually as they did in 2015 yeah and just, and just kind of remembered and, and went yeah we're we're straight there we, we don't lose at this point and South Africa have done that numerous they times they have yeah but I think to do it particularly you know he was like 38 at the time he'd, yeah. he'd been retired for like two years to do that at that age with a team it was also really quite old by rugby standards mm-hmm. in a modern game and to recover from that loss to Japan which must have been like you know, like I think, uh, oh, what's his face? Mm, Stransky hmm. said, uh, you know, like for everybody else, that was the most magical thing in the world. And it kind of like gave you hope and joy again in rugby. And for us, it was just like the greatest humiliation imaginable. And to pick yeah. your team up from that and take them as far as he did, I just think is phenomenal. And also, point. he was a very good player. It did a lot. Yeah, of yeah, he was. You know, an absolute like um, you know, looked two foot, looked two foot taller than his six foot ten. Yeah, um, looked even taller in the line out. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, a majestic one, pick. One ridiculous amount of stuff actually, and yeah, perfect compliment for Alan Jones, I think. Hundred percent. Imagine right, having them in your engine room. You'd be so afraid. I know. <laughs> You've, um, I'll tell you what is interesting as well. You talked about Ty Furlong doing like the nuts and bolts and you always tend to think of nuts and bolts for a prop as being scrummaging and, um, you know, and hitting rucks and stuff like that. You always forget about lifting at lineouts. Yeah. Um, and someone the size of Ty Furlong slinging up someone like Victor Matfield, you, you, you're not going to, you're not going to oh, yeah. Neil Army throwing in, you're not going to miss many of them. When you think how high Peter Armani gets, I know he's a great jumper and stuff, but mm. with Ty Furlong chucking him up, like, I think that'd be a, a yeah. Fantastic in the line out as well as in the scrum, and it would be a a good tight five in the scrum. That I reckon it, it certainly would. And we've spoken about balance a couple of times, and there is nowhere that the cliche is more true than in the back row, which is where uh, we go to finish. I had an absolute great time here. This was also a little bit. So I wanted to start from fifteen because I felt like it would ruin it to pick Shane earlier. I think it needed the explanation, but I also a bit yeah. wanted to start at 15 because I wanted to end on the back row because the back row is just always great. So, uh, in general, I'm a big fan of, yeah, it doesn't really matter who your players are as long as the unit is balanced. Mm. That said, I do have a real soft spot for a kind of, quote, proper blind side. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Same as same as a fullback. It is a specialist yeah. position. Yeah, and I also I also love twin fetches as well. So I'm a complete hypocrite. But you go for well, it. Well, that's why I am as well. I was just thinking about this recently. Like the first kind of uh, like sort of big. Well, the first kind of proper analysis article I did with like video stuff, and uh, I pitched it basically because I wanted to write about two of the players that I considered on the blind side. <laughs> uh, so I had this whole thing, and it like not like kind of blew up or anything, but. By my standards at the time, it got a lot of interaction, a lot of page views, a lot of like mm. uh, attention on social media and stuff. And I was like, oh, cool. So I've sort of made myself the person of like, please respect the blindside position. Uh, and then at the same time, I'm writing articles like, woo, double open sides, versatility, yeah, yeah, yeah. play a flanker at nine, it's completely fine. <laughs> um, so I'm a massive hypocrite as well. But I have tried to pick uh, well, at least two sort of proper blindsides. By which I mean, although I didn't pick him, uh, Dan Lydia at 2012 period. That just the, kind the, of the fuck. ultimate, yeah. Yeah. So the two of my favourite players for this are Scott Fardy mm. and Jerome Kaino, who I just think have everything you want of like 
proper niggle, complete bastards to play against, do all the dirty stuff, un like relentlessly, uncomplainingly, make everybody around them better because everyone around them has a much easier time when they're on the pitch. Uh, good in the line out, good in the scrum, just just kind of brilliant, it just and just tackle and carry relentlessly. And I think you watch you watch Leinster now, and it's not the only factor, obviously. Like they're ridiculously good academy, and the time that Stuart Lancaster has had, and there's loads of other factors and how good they've become. But having Scott Fardy basically week in week out because he's not affected by a central contract or an international window, mm. it's just like that is kind of a cheat code for for a domestic league. I think like, it's ridiculous. Uh, uh, yeah, it's been, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Australia um, were not the same team without him. Like that, that combo. We, we spoke about 2015 a minute ago, and yeah. he was majestic in that and tournament. Absolutely essential to how good Australia mm. were. Like Pocock, Pocock and Hooper didn't work as a pairing in the last World Cup because they didn't have mm. Pocock didn't have someone doing what Fardy did. He was having to do it himself. Yeah. And then that 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 whole balance of their back line didn't work without Fardy there to do the kind of nuts and bolts stuff. And I also kind of think, you know, like, not that they should have tried to somehow lure him back and keep playing him at the age that he saw this, but New Zealand in the last World Cup missed a player like Kaino. Mm. Like, for as brilliant as Saver is, and, you know, Sam Kings, he's a great, great flanker. But I think they just... Both open sides, aren't they? They are both open sides. And while Sam... They, you know, like Sauvé, he does carry, he does put himself around and stuff, but I think they just miss the the proper sort of niggle and, yeah, just the kind of, they just missed a proper blind side. And I think that wasn't actually, I gave them quite a bit of stick for being a bit too sort of uh, cute with their selection choices, but I think really they just didn't have an option. Liam Squire wasn't available to play and they didn't really have another blind side who was as good enough. Um but I think if they'd had someone like John Kano, things might have gone differently for them, basically. Interesting. Um, but I picked, I think a lot of people always kind of say he's an open side, but I'm not having that, to be honest. Uh, I picked Thierry Ducetois. Yeah, do you know what? You get, we keep talking about cheat codes, right? This is your cheat code because <laughs> Ducetois, when it, when it comes to French and South African flankers, it's it's a different beast to how we know it. Right, yeah. So Dusatois could do could do a six and a seven job. It didn't matter what was on the back of his shirt, he could do both. But also I think the reason I picked him in the games where he was iconic, where he's carrying and his tackling, you know, like that thirty eight tackles he put in, in that game against Yeah, this is two thousand and seven, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the sort of I'm not saying an open side doesn't tackle anything, but I think I'm not picking him to be a fetcher or a link man, is what I'm saying. I'm picking yeah. him to do the work on yeah. the line side. Uh, and yeah, do you know what? As well, you're right because uh, when you when you talk about Jesus, well, I always think of that game and I think about his sheer work rate and what a leader he was. But he he does have great carrying ability and had nice yeah. hands and yeah, com the complete flanker really. Yeah, yeah, he was just fantastic. And again, just one of those players who. Well, one of those players that, let's face it, France have needed for a very long time. Mm. He'll just take the game by the scuff of the neck and be like, oh, lads, I will deal with this. Just start it in my fucking way. Uh, which he did, repeatedly, against New Zealand, hilariously. Um, but I think that's a fantastic quality in a play. It wasn't like he just kind of only occasionally showed up. 
No, and in a, and in a French side that has a tendency to oh, adhere to, to national stereotypes and yeah. sulk, um, Dudes as well was quite the opposite. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, and it always seems like a really lovely bloke, um, like a really gent- like a guy you would want in your team as a teammate as well as like as a player. Uh, so yeah, big tick for him. Love him. Great choice, uh, can't argue. I'll tell you another thing with Dizitoire, right? For a player who played the way he did, um, you look at him now, right? And he must be nearly 40 years old. There is barely a mark on the guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no there's no scratches on Thierry yeah. Dizitoire's face. So I realised this recently. He looks, he looks like recently. he spent his time hiding on the wing. Yeah, yeah. I realised this recently. I've never noticed it before. I think we were, we were watching the 2007 game. I was like... Terry Dustois, not a bad looking man, you know. Like he's come out of a professional rugby career quite well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He looks like he's been exactly. hanging out on the wing the whole time. <laughs> Good for him. He does. Which yeah, you know, clever. Clever as well as a as well as a yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> what about the the uh, the actual open side position then? Oh, I so badly wanted to pick Sam. Again, I had to. I simply had to. Yeah, um, I've written him in capital yeah. letters with stars around him to sort yeah. of make the point to myself of what I did. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, I think for the period where I really, really got into rugby, uh, I'm not just kind of really got into it and watched it, but really formed my own opinions. I think and was mm. kind of like willing to fight for them, like. I think everybody that I watched rugby with and talked to rugby about was kind of a, a Justin Tipperick fan. Um, and Justin Tipperick is also on my list of considerations, obviously, because he's amazing. Um, but yeah, I was just always kind of like, I'm not saying I wouldn't have Tipperick in the team, but I would always pick Sam first. Like, I think he brings more than people gave him credit for a lot of the time. Um mm. And I love actually that as much as I didn't want him to go out the way he did, I love that the way he went out was just proving that he's the best like referee manager of the modern the modern era. And just yeah, that, I, that face off with Kieran Reed going like, My man, my man <laughs> What the fuck is happening? What? And Sam just really calmly like, Alright, just yeah, I, it's just, it's astonishing, really, and yeah, I, I'm yeah, you know, again, people don't need to hear my thoughts on Sam Warburton because yeah. I've I've spent I, I basically created this podcast just to talk about him. Um, I mean, that is but... a worthy endeavour, in my opinion. I would create a podcast <laughs> just to talk about Sam Warburton. I am not so, a fan of uh, of autobiographies generally, to be honest. Not really, definitely not yeah. sports autobiographies. I think they're kind of often quite banal and sort of cliches and. Sam Warburton's arrived. My um, a friend sent it to me as a present. I came home from work, knackered. I'd cycled home in like 40 kilometer wind. I didn't realize how windy it was. Uh, so I was like really, really tired. Uh, I came home, saw the package and was like, yes, sat down on the sofa. I was starving when I got in. Sat down on the sofa and just read it cover to cover without getting up. Didn't go to the toilet, didn't make myself any food, didn't get changed out of my clothes, just sat there and read the whole thing. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fast reader, but it was mostly because it's a really, really good sports autobiography. He's he's got um he's got so we interviewed him for the uh, for the, when he was promoting the book. And again, I've never been you know like I you know, as we were saying off air, I don't do this for a job. You know, this has been this has been fun. And walking you know walking to meet him for this, I never dreamt when I started to do this. I like my life. I'd get to meet him. Yeah. And. Do you know what's more as well is I've whenever I've met sports heroes in the past, 
you're always I've learned not to be disappointed I always think if you meet them and they're a nice guy it's a nice bonus yeah but with Sam I genuinely think like the only other person that I'd be that disappointed to meet and them to turn out to be a bastard would be Bruce Springsteen. The and... same, absolutely the same. <laughs> I actually said, I literally said this one the other day, like, I think, I just imagine really that everybody famous is probably a bit of a dick. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Be just assume it, that. assume it. And those are the two people who would just genuinely devastate me. <laughs> Exactly. Do you know what? All, all of this stems from um, from my time when I worked at TalkSport. And um, again, we had nothing to do with, you know, with the programme and worked in the commercial team and met a former England cricketer who shall remain nameless, Darren Goff, who turned out to be a massive arsehole. And oh. I just like, from, from there on in, I just assume. And then when I met Sam and he was... I met him like about two or three times and he's the nicest bloke. He has time for everyone. And it was just like, yeah, it it couldn't have, um, but his brain is, is just like, he's got such a rugby brain there that that's the fascinating bit. And he was just so willing to do kind of whatever it took to make himself better. To the point where yeah. I'm reading the book, I was a bit like, Sam, I'm so glad you retired, mate. Cause I, I'm not sure this is very good for you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like maybe you needed, yeah. you needed a break. But, yeah, I just, yeah, I almost want to put him back in the team now, to be honest. He's so wonderful. Well, go, go on, tell me who has, uh, who has beaten the, the so... Springsteen of Open Science. <laughs> uh, not Richie McCall. Again, boring. I don't care how great yeah. he was. Just boring. Uh, not Pocock. Very nearly Paseliato. It was a bit of a cheat code again, I think. But I went for Nugget. I went for Martin Williams. Yeah. Uh, and I felt a little bit vindicated doing this because Sam himself picked Martin yeah, Williams yeah, yeah. in his three fifteen yeah. on the open side. And I think I've generally picked this kind of uh, a pack that can play, that can that can really sort of play a ball, but that's also like big serious give you a platform mm. kind of pack and I really like the idea of what Martin Williams could have could do in a pack that was just that kind of like yes sorted uh, yeah he, he was a, he was a magician and, and throughout large parts of his career again I think Martin Williams first caps in 1996 yeah which is again, mental to nice. think about it you know like just after the game turned pro so he must have been playing in the in the amateur era, you know, club wise. He must have yeah, been. Yeah. Um, and, and then to play right the way up to twenty eleven, um, and reinvent himself and deal with the physicality. You know, that doesn't just happen. You have to train immensely hard uh to do that. And again, a guy who wasn't you know, he wasn't six foot. Yeah. Don't I don't think he's that big. He's not a big bloke, is he? I think he's. I think he might be what five, might be, ten, five, eleven. Real, like five, he might be just pushing close to six foot. I think I saw four of him recently. But, but yeah, he's not. not he's certainly not, not a six field. foot four. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. So actually, I've just looked at it. He's six foot one, but he never looked it. Oh God, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, well, well done, but, again. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. Maybe he's been editing his own. Um, yeah, maybe he's, own maybe he's got shoes with a slight heel on. And, but Martin Williams is so good, he could wear Cuban heels around there. Uh, do whatever uh, he wanted, he yeah, wanted do whatever yeah. he wanted. Uh, I just think, yeah, you've got to just, just the amount of fun you could have, the amount of fun this team would have with Martin Williams at seven, I just would really like to see. Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. I'm sorry, absolutely I'm sorry though, Sam. If you're yeah, at, I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's the interesting It's <laughs> like my, my whole... Um, yeah, my whole rugby philosophy is all, you know, I love watching players 
chuck the ball around. I love play, play, play. You know, my side, I picked Matthew Morgan at 10 of all the players. Oh, I know, hilarious. <laughs> and I love him. And I, you know, and I, do you know what? I'd do it again. I'd pick him at 15 as well. If I, I believe you, yeah. Um, but when it came to seven, I was just like, Sam has brought me that much joy. Um, that, that he eclipsed players like Martin Williams, yeah. who wasn't, you know, yeah, he wasn't just, oh, yeah, he was a good club player, but yeah, flawless. He, he's an all time Wales great. And oh, Tipperick yeah. is in that same bracket. But yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah it, we, we have been absolutely spoiled in the. Uh, it says something the actually that, um, so when he retired, I'd gone to visit uh, my granddad's widow in Wales, mm. and she, she, fabulous woman, no bullshit whatsoever, very <laughs> forthright. Uh, could not care less about rugby has never cared about rugby used to we would go to the pub the three of us and she would sit with her back to the screen and just like drink her sherry uh, and read a book while everyone else in the pub was like looking at the screen above her head just like not interested completely calm uh, and she always used to say when I'd visit like oh thank god you're here because you've been banging on about the rugby and I honestly I'm just so bored of pretending that I care anyway so I was visiting her on, on her own and uh, and it came on the news that Sam had retired. And she was like, even I understand what this means. Yeah. Hold on. And she went out of the room, <laughs> came back with a plate with like the proper like grandma stuff, biggest slice of cake you've ever seen in your life, and a glass of sherry for both of us. <laughs> and she was like, we will sit and watch this interview with Sam Wolverton and his highlights reel. I will pay attention to rugby for once because I understand that this is important. It was like four in the afternoon. She was just cracking out these massive glasses of sherry, and I was like, "No, oh, fair play, yeah. Sam deserves this." Oh. I'm glad that even people who hate rugby recognise, <laughs> like, recognise the, the importance of this moment and have taken some time to, to appreciate it. So, we uh, we better get, but we get better get back to your back row because yes. once again, I've hijacked it with my love of Sam Warburton. But let's go, oh. for, yeah, let's go for your number eight to finish. Right, so. Again, I've, I've realised that I've dismissed a lot of New Zealand players here. Um, and I'm not going to apologise, I'm going to do it again. Kieran Reid is a lovely number eight, and mm-hmm. I'm not that interested. Uh, I quite like the idea of Kazuki Himeno, the Japanese yeah, number eight. Yeah. Oh, yes. A lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I fell in love with him in, uh, during the World Cup. Yeah, a big part, well, a big enough part of a lot of the decisions earlier on in my pack were about getting to do some slightly mad shit at eight or like giving myself yeah, yeah, the room and I think Jimena would be a really good uh, a really good call for that and perhaps and maybe a little bit more left field I don't know uh, Stephen Luatua who That's that, a, yeah, yeah that would that would be that would be uh, presumably more left field yeah I think so I mentioned it to someone and they were like that's a rogue showery but uh, I stopped picking him well, not, I'm not picking him, but I'm considering him uh, on the basis of that Barbarians game. It was fantastic. Mm. Although I'm pretty sure he actually played at seven in that game, but I've decided that's not important. <laughs> He's not actually been Yeah, I, I mean, five. positions hasn't really played hasn't really played much of a uh, <laughs> uh, much of a role in where you've picked players. It's not a, it's not a strict criteria. It's something I consider. That's it. Uh, anyway, I I think again it's probably quite predictable this one. And I didn't even really try and talk myself out of it. But I think a player who is as phenomenally good at getting the ball out of a retreating scrum and turning it into an attacking platform as Tolupe Falatau. Mm, absolutely. I would like to pick him behind a pack that can do some real damage and see what he does then. 
Because imagine that lovely little, like, sort of arc he runs off the back of the scrum. I'm actually demonstrating this arc on my desk here, so then everyone can see. <laughs> um, imagine him doing that off a scrum that had some momentum instead of one that was, like, pedalling backwards horrifyingly fast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously, famously learnt those uh, the the technique of picking the ball up from the hooker's feet um, while playing while playing for the Dragons. But, um, yeah, uh, but I, just, I mean, he's I've such a wonderful said, player, and he makes he makes five yards when you really need five yards, um, and he just he just makes everything look stupidly easy. And I yeah. feel like there's a real smugness that you get to have as a Wales fan, a bit like the half penny bigger thing when mm. other people see Talupe Falatau do yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. when they're not used to it. It's like in the Lions, not even yeah. in the test matches, like in one of the first tour games where he tracks back like 50 metres or something to catch, it was a back, it was a fast back and Falatau just like absolutely belted it right the way across the park. There was someone who you definitely would have thought would be quicker who started ahead of him and didn't get there in time. And he just put in this absolutely perfect tackle, wrapped him up, carried him over the try line, kept the ball, like, just just flawless. And I remember people watching it being like, bloody hell, maybe we won't miss Billy Vunapol. And I was like, I told yeah. you. I know, like, yeah. When Billy Vunapol couldn't go on the tour, I was like, that's a real shame. That's really sad. And also, it means there won't be a kerfuffle when Gats picks the part up. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what? I, I, I think remember you should thinking do. similar thing. Yeah, I remember thinking a similar thing, thinking, oh, well, that's good. Billy, you know, like, uh, yeah, Billy won't be disappointed when he has to play at six or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. It's just, or yeah, like when it's he gets just, to play at eight, but everyone knows really that was the man. <laughs> I know. I mean, the, the thing is, like, with the Lions, is what I hate about social media is the last two Lions tours have just been turned into this circus of I can bang the drum loudest for the player who. Um, you know who plays for my team and actually the Lions is, is the beauty that's the beauty of the thing for me yeah. is that you can I can sit there and go you know like I was saying you know my respect for Jamie George was built out of the 2017 Lions tour I was like this is uh, fantastic yeah, I was delighted to have him and I wasn't I liked him before I think but I wasn't remotely resentful of him starting before Ken I was like yeah good no. call good call yeah yeah exactly fantastic player. I, and the same for like Mario Toja great player yeah, no. I mean, he's exactly. an asshole when playing against him, but you know, for the Lions, yeah. he's a great player. You get you get that that joy of for six weeks of uh, of cheering on players who you you never otherwise would would do. Yeah, and, and that's that's the beauty of it for the Lions, and I kind of wish people would stop banging on about you know, and and I try and be really objective when you know when when we're on Twitter and stuff rather than go, my player's better than your player. Because it's just like, you know, that's, that's not what it's about. We're supposed to have a common enemy here rather than rather than infighting. Yeah, and the whole beauty of it is that, you know, that we kind of, we set it aside for the sort of the common enemy. I, I mean, I do think it's perhaps easy for us to say that, given how strong the Welsh presence has been in the last three years. Mm. I think that's mostly but, correct. And I think yeah. that objectively they've been good decisions in terms of not just that Gatlin was a coach and therefore he knows those players better, but there's there's partnerships there that work and there's ways of playing and then a turn that's as condensed as a Lions. There are some decisions where you pick where quality isn't necessarily the, the overriding factor. Like maybe you pick a very slightly less good player because they have a better understanding with mm. someone else who's integral, you know. Um, uh, and I do think you know, a lot of the, the selection decisions maybe in the last kind of two, certainly that 
that plays a factor. Um, but I do also, I mean, I think one, I'm not having it that Salas out wouldn't have been the best option I ate in the last one. No, no <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. But I do like to think that, yeah, you know, if, uh, well, because Sam didn't play in the first one because he was injured, but I, you know, all, yeah, he came off the bench, didn't he, I think, yeah. Yeah, he came off the bench and, um, and it was, it was Omani and Sean O'Brien, I think. Yeah. Uh, yes, Omani and Because Omani was captain, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, I think that's that was the, that was the right decision. That was the right call. And um, it is obviously difficult to do that, especially because we all know our own players so well. Like, it's a bit easier maybe if I watch quite a lot of club rugby, I guess, a lot of domestic mm. rugby. So I, I see the players in other contexts. So it's a bit easier to see them not as, say, like an England player or a Scotland player or whatever. Um but in general, obviously, you know your own players better. You know what they can do better than everyone else. So everyone was like, oh, my God, that was a really great number eight. I was like, yes. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. But I think it's not that they didn't rate him because they just don't like Welsh players. They didn't rate yeah, him that yeah. highly because they don't watch him play as often as we do. And if, and if they did, then they they would have come to that realisation as early as we did. Um, but yeah, I honestly just think Palaszczuk is just a kind of magnificent player. He makes everything looks so easy and yeah he doesn't look like a big sort of heavy duty carrying gate but like you said he just he makes yards when he needed to and uh, yeah and he actually has not only soft hands in the rugby sense but having shaken his hand they are genuinely yeah. in soft hands in real life so, that's yeah. nice I like soft that soft hands in real life Right, Rihanna, it just remains uh, for the uh, the final bit yeah. of, uh, of housekeeping, which I also think is a fun bit. Um, where would you like this game to take place? Against whom? What kit are you wearing? And who are the coaches? Uh, I've picked the Millennium Stadium. And again, I tried really hard to think of... I considered a couple of the South African ones. You know, mm. Quite a nice view at Newlands Park, I suppose. Yeah, Loftus Versfeld always feels like a... Um, like a yeah. magnificent, uh, a magnificent place. And a lot, there's a lot. There's sort of a good amount of atmosphere in those stadiums as well. And oh yeah. Um, but to be honest, I thought realistically half the team is Welsh. They're going to play no, the money. Yeah, no, 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 no there. Uh, the first, you the first proper rugby game. Yeah, and that's what we're all calling yeah. it. Realistically, until, until Prince Pally decides to pay a, to pay this podcast some money or give us some tickets. To, uh, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. To, to call it that, then, uh, yeah, then if, Millennium if, it is for me. If you're listening, Prince Pally. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, the first international rugby game I went to was at the Millennium Stadium, and it was the game against England in 2013. Well, uh, not, not a bad place to start. Eh? I know. And my granddad had just sort of called me and said. I've got these tickets and I can't go. Do you want to, you know, do you want to go? I'm going to take mate. He's an England fan. He did not have quite as much fun as I did. Uh, and we met my uncle uh, in the in pub in the bus drivers before the match. And he said, like, my granddad, you know, made me learn the anthem and made my uncle check that I could sing it and stuff. And my uncle sort of, you know, it was a bit, there's a couple of sheets to the window already and he made this big deal about how it's the greatest stadium in the world and there's nothing like it. And I was like, all right, Chris, all right. Uh, it's, bit, it's very typical of him to, to get a little bit carried away. Anyway, we got there, and obviously, <laughs> you couldn't have been more right on the basis of that experience at the time. It was just, it was unreal. And my mate was like, fucking hell, this is a completely different ball game, isn't it? I don't, yeah, on, on occasions like that, it, it really is. Like, again, actually, just... I, was, I wasn't there that day, but I've done that, you know, I've. 
I've been there for for Grand Slams and for uh, yeah for for wins over. <laughs> yeah, yeah like I think I was there. Ireland, I was there last year as well, actually, for the game against England. I feel like I'm a good luck charm against England, but people should definitely give me tickets. Yeah, Prince, again, Prince Palace. If you're listening, <laughs> yeah, I am really. I'm so so a good luck charm. Uh, and it, I mean, it, it was cracking last year, but I think I, yeah, I've never been to it, and it been anything like what it was against England yeah. in 2013. It was a proper like. Like a proper physical experience and you could just feel it in your body the whole game Com- completely mad uh, so yeah I just, I'm not I'm not considering other options to be honest okay. uh, who, who <laughs> I've got my for free tickets uh, I feel like maybe I don't think about this enough in some ways but I also feel like my answer is quite good I would pick the New Zealand team of 2005 that murdered the Lions oh so that's a good and actually we've mentioned a lot of I, I, Milami would be playing on both sides then but I like that yeah um, he probably could to be fair well, be all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but do you know what I like that because actually you've mentioned, we've mentioned kind of almost like the the, the cheat code players the rugby the rugby robots um, not robotic in the sense that they're not skillful and tactful but almost they're too complete the McCaws the yeah. Carters and that side is probably the epitome perfect. of that. From, yeah. from 1 to 15, they were just perfect at everything. Yeah. Obviously, some of the players in my team wouldn't qualify for Alliance, but that's not really the point. I think... Uh, no, no, it doesn't matter. It's, it's your, scratch, your, team scratch, versus, yeah. your team versus versus New Zealand 2005. Simple yeah. as that. But it is a little bit about, it is a little bit about redeeming that. Term. I think so. <laughs> that was a big part of the decision. Um, okay, but, and uh, yeah, what about let's go coaches next? Uh, so I could not decide on this, but uh, there were probably pretty obvious choices to be torn between. The first one is uh, Colin James, because mm-hmm. it's remarkable actually that I didn't pick any of that team in this team, considering how much I was forced to listen to about them as a child. Um, but I wanted to go to players that. I actually it's kind of, different if you've never seen them play again I you know I I've nothing but respect for for you know for those those players of the 70s but it's it's very difficult if you if you don't get to watch them yourself as you're you're forming your and own and in real opinions. time in a way as well you know like cuz I would have picked say JPR and, and Gareth Edwards and yeah. it's it's a similar thing like you know so, some listeners might have noticed that for all my obsessions with fullbacks, I didn't pick like Christian Cullen or Serge Banco, yeah. and it's because I didn't really watch those players play in a kind of in a proper sort of engaged way. And um, but having said that, I think it would be fascinating to see if Carwin James could coach a modern team against a modern team. Do it, do it. Um, I just intellectually, I think that would be really interesting. Um, but my other pick was obviously Warren Gatland because he definitely can coach a modern team against a modern team. So I just went for Wales's two best coaches, one from the yeah, amateur yeah. and one from the professional era. Really. Magnificent. Okay, like that. And then all that remains is uh, is what jersey, what kit you'd like him to wear, and captain. Oh, jersey, jersey is very straightforward for me. Uh, obviously, it's impractical to play in, but I'm really only interested in seventies cotton jerseys. <laughs> Like, I'm not. I'm just not willing to entertain alternatives. I've got unless it's a 60s cotton jersey. Fine. Um, 
I, I have two Burnley shirts, one from the 60s and one from the 70s. And I have one Wales jersey from the 70s. And I don't really want any of this. I quite like the current Wales strip, to be honest. But only if I could have it in caution. So it would be a 70s costume jersey. But okay, and, probably, and a red of Wales? Or? No, I think I'd probably go for the 70s Barbars jersey. Oh, nice. Nice choice. Like that. Yeah, black and white. Because it is kind of a Barbarians team, really. And it's just, yeah, it's such a beautiful jersey. It's got that kind of a sort of uh, retro feel that I'm definitely wanting in my jersey. And I think it suits this team quite well. I think this would make a very good Barbarians team, to be honest. Oh, it certainly would. Uh, and Captain, I have a big thing about Captain, how uh, it doesn't need to be the most obvious leader in the team. Mm-hmm. I don't think Owen Fowler should be the England captain, and not because Agreed. I think he's a hothead necessarily, although I think he could work on his uh, communication. But just because I think he's going to do that job anyway, he's going to be the focal point. You know, Alan Wynne-Jones wasn't the captain of this Wales team for 13 years, and I don't think anyone mistook him for not a leader in that time absolutely um, I think there were loads of players basically any player in this pack could be the caption uh, in fact I think realistically every single one of the players in my pack could be the captain maybe not Ty mm. um, and I think Emily Scarrett could be the caption um, except I wouldn't pick a fullback as captain because that's silly um, but I've gone for the one with the most game intelligence Um which is obviously Gethin. Nice choice. Also, I think they would yeah. all legit be terrified of Gethin. Like, Matfield and Alan Wynne-Jones might be the more obvious leaders, but I defy anybody to gob off at Gethin Jenkins if he's telling you off for not doing something right. I no, I, would, I think you're absolutely right. As well as being a natural leader, I think he's naturally a miserable bastard as well. So. Yeah, yeah, but in the, in the best way. Yeah, in the way that would make you work for him, and he does have that way of uh, of like cracking the smile that makes you really feel like ah, oh, I've, I've accomplished something here. Getting is happy with me, uh, and I think he would, you know, well, he was the captain in that game, uh, the Worlds Against England game in 2013. God, uh, and he? he was very good. I completely yeah, that. because Sam. Yeah, Sam was going because what Paul said to Sam. Just focus on your game. Don't, we're not going to make a capture. Yeah. Focus on your game. And it was Ryan Jones. And then Ryan Jones got injured. Ryan so Jones Sam, got injured. Which is why yeah. Sam played at six. And Howley said, no, still, just focus on your game. Guessing I'll be captain. Amazing. I think that that's speaks for itself. You know, that's a record victory over England. As well as a, a surprise tournament win. So I think Guessing's got the goods. Good stuff. Ram, it's been fantastic listening to your team. I've absolutely thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, lots a, of quirks. Great um, I think Shane at nine was a particularly inspired choice, I think. But uh, yeah, a, a wonderful uh, a wonderful side from, <laughs> from one to all three of the 15s. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed that. Thanks very much for joining us and hopefully we'll get you back on the attack and scrum soon. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. This was genuinely a lot of fun. And yeah, I'd love to come <laughs> back. Thank you. Podcast Network.